Hello and welcome back to the Longest Battle podcast. This week I'm meeting Tom Skelton. His fears of a hereditary condition were realised in 2009 when he suddenly started to lose his eyesight. Pretty scary stuff. Tom is a stand-up comedian performing around the world and he's agreed to do the podcast. So for someone who is partially sighted like myself, tell me um, what you can actually see. Yeah, so if I'm looking at you across this room, and uh, what were we about two feet from each other, three uh-huh, feet? Yeah. Then if I look at you, then the centre is a blur, so your face is very blurry, and then it gets a bit clearer um, the further out of the visual field. Okay. So I can get a better view, I can get a better look at you if I... M- appear to be looking away from you but I don't like to do that because it it just puts people off their breakfast or if they're not eating breakfast then it just it makes people feel a bit uncomfortable even if they know the reason why I'm doing it I think I prefer to give eye contact even though I'm not actually making any eye contact yeah you are doing eye contact now (laughs) (laughs) well it might be for you (laughs) (laughs) so tell me about the condition so it's called Labour's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy and it's a genetic condition in my family. And so it's um it, the females in the ca- in the family carry it and okay. then it generally um is almost only the men in the family can get it or that can some women can get it as well. And what happens is the the central vision basically goes like the optic nerve becomes essentially useless and it happens in one eye over about three months and the second eye over about three months and it generally happens you know it often happens in your early 20s or in your in your younger years at at some point wow that must have been massive for you it was very Mm. yeah it was very massive when did you really realize that this was happening well, the first time I noticed it, I was actually I was just with a friend in in a park, and then a fly flew into my eye, mm. and I tried to look at I tried to get the fly out, so I closed my one eye yeah. and looked at my friend with the other eye, and then the middle of their face was just a little bit blurry, and I thought, oh, that's a bit odd. That maybe it's the sunlight, but then the the cloud started to, in my eye grew and sort of grew out, and. Um, I sort of ignored it as you do mm. and then it w- wasn't going away and then when it started to appear in the second eye and then I thought oh it could be this thing which I definitely knew about but you know you know when you've got that sort of cog- what's it called cognitive dissonance when you know what it could well be but you don't want to admit it to yourself yeah. and then I looked up the symptoms of the of the disease that's in my family and I thought Oh, oh, yeah, that is that. It must be that. It must be. So, yeah. Uh, so it happens over about, yeah, three months in one eye, three months in the other eye, and then... All at the same time, or...? In... so Different it's points. Different points. So, roughly, my one was... First eye was, like, June to September. Second eye, September to December, January. Right, wow. Yeah. God. And then it's gem- it generally stays stable. Um, but... Yeah. They don't, you know, it's with these rare things, they're never, it's always like, oh, well, it's generally like this, but it could, 
Yeah, no one tells you the answers. That's the yeah. thing, is it? You kind of you kind of press for those answers, but then it's just like no one actually wants to commit to themselves to say that this is what what will happen because actually no one really knows. They don't know, and also I have to sometimes I think the the answers could be scarier than the <laughs> the questions. Yeah. If yeah, so. So tell me about being a VIP and your involvement with the Royal Society for Blind Children. Well. VIP, just in case, I'm sure everyone on listening to this podcast knows, but I am a VIP. I like to think, in, in at least one sense of the word, in that I'm a visually impaired person. And um, I, I, you hear that sometimes when I, if I go on a train on my own to different destinations, you you hear the, uh, if you go up and ask the guard for help or yeah. ask someone at London tube stations, they, they take great pride in talking to their walkie-talkie. So we've got a VIP here looking to get to uh, Blackheath or um, or Catford East or something like that. I don't exclusively go to places in Lewisham. but um, And so, yeah, visually impaired person. And, yeah, so I've, I revel, revel in that, but it's uh, in that description. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it's... it's it's definitely difficult. It's obviously made massive changes. Getting lost is very easy to do nowadays. Yeah. And I think I had to learn to be comfortable with getting lost and be comfortable asking people mm. for help and, and directions. Tell me about getting lost. Have you had any ridiculous situations where you really thought you were somewhere else, but you weren't? Oh. <laughs> oh, well, there's there's definitely... I mean, there was one time when I... And this was nothing to do with the visual impairment, but everyone thought it was to do with the visual impairment, so I think therefore forgave me a little more. (laughs) But I was on a train going home to Milton Keynes, um, but I hadn't got much sleep the night before. I had my coffee and was all ready to to get off at Milton Keynes. uh, And then the next thing I know, I've woken up a bit, and they said, next stop is Manchester Piccadilly. And everyone was hugely helpful... um, in Manchester, you couldn't see very well. Is that the reason? Or? It was just that I fell asleep. <laughs> I'm a cat, you <laughs> But in terms of in Manchester, I think this is one of the advantages to being a VIP that everyone was very understanding. Assumed that it was because I was blind. <laughs> I didn't. I just went. I just told them the facts that I had missed my stop and was blind. <laughs> didn't <laughs> include any other link. And then no, you know, didn't have to pay for an extra ticket. They all helped me. Made sure I got back on the train. Good. Met me at the other side so that's the positive side that um even, even when it can be frustrating that people assume you can't do something yeah. because you're you're blind or partially sighted mm. if you if you then do something and uh want to have an excuse i suppose if you do something stupid that you need an excuse for you could always throw it onto the blind blindness <laughs> which is which is terrible which i shouldn't do but it can be tempting <laughs> You seem very capable, that's the thing. So every time I've met you, you know, you would never, ever know that you were partially excited. You, you know, it's it's amazing. So, so um, obviously you don't see overly well, so do you sometimes mm-hmm. miss the coffee cup and things like that? Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> like there's a, a, a sort of semi-formal occasion um, in a for work at some point we were having a dinner yeah and there was just a i was just talking quite seriously to the person next to me you know how it is and um i was trying not to 
It's a difficult thing. I was trying not to look blind, I suppose, while I ate, and I, <laughs> right. I think it's a difficult, it's a difficult balance. But you, you sort of, um, I think people should be clear about what they need and how what's easier for them and everything. But mm. there is a sort of instinct to try not to look blind, but you can end up doing a lot worse things. So I was just talking to them and sort of putting the food in my mouth, and then I, uh, you know, got a forkful. Thought oh, I could have got a forkful because. You often put an empty fork in your mouth and have to look sophisticated, like, mm, thank you, nice metal sheen. But the other day, I just stuck a summer fork down, popped it in my mouth, and started chewing. I thought, oh, it was, it's a lemon. It's a lemon. <laughs> Half a lemon. But because um, they were senior to me, I, I thought, I'm just going to I'm just going to appear you know like I've got a different gastronomic culture to them <laughs> in that I went for the lemon first <laughs> um yeah so those those little incidents and it's like salt and things like that you get all those kind of things wrong being sort of exactly although with salt I do always salt and sugar yeah. I do always put it in my palm um okay. for that I yeah. think because there's there's less um, yeah I either ask someone to pass me the, the salt or or I do just dab it and, and check to test yeah because that's just a nightmare yeah. or don't go for salt if it's <laughs> in a in a formal situation or something I don't have that many formal dinners so I don't know why I'm uh... <laughs> <laughs> but occasionally mm. I'm sure you do <laughs> mm. definitely with my condition I find busy places a bit of a nightmare a bit like today at Old Street um, but how is it working at the Edinburgh Fringe? Because that is just one of the busiest... Well, I imagine it's one of the busiest places that you have to go to. Yeah, it is very busy, and especially on those middle Saturdays there. Yeah. It's just... I think the population of Edinburgh are something like trebles, and you can, and they're all in the centre of the city, so you can really feel it. But I think with Edinburgh and with lots of places, if I know my way around... Mm then it's it's okay like and I know Edinburgh pretty well I've been going since before I lost my sight and then after I lost my sight and so I tend to stick to the central areas that I know so actually in a crowded Edinburgh Royal Mile where I'm flyering I I tend to just fly every single person so I don't I'm not a very discerning flyer I'll just fly every single person and um sometimes that can can lead to slightly odd circumstances <laughs> um but like for example once um this wasn't actually so much a crowded thing but yeah. um it was raining quite heavily and i was flying and i flyered a guy going by with a very large umbrella um who you know sort of grunted at me in an annoyed way and i I was a bit a bit surprised, but it didn't matter. But I then heard my other friends who were flying for the same show laughing in the background. And I, I wasn't quite sure. So I went over to them and they said, you've just flyered a man. So if you can think, I flyered someone that I saw a dark, it raining very heavily, saw a man with a dark shape over him <laughs> and, um, and flyered him. And apparently what I'd actually done instead of flying a man with an umbrella is flyer a man carrying a very heavy barrel above his head <laughs> so that's why he didn't want the flyer and thought I was completely mad um, but Edinburgh must just be the most crazy place to be able to be working in and having to do those things it is although I think I think I just I it's a lot of the 
it is blurriness for me and as long as I know where I'm going I can sort of trip over people and people can get in the way but because I know overall where I am I don't find it too overwhelming and I think it's that sort of being able to know a place intimately enough the busyness doesn't overawe me but if it's a new place that's very busy that can be very overwhelming yeah it must be massive to try to do that because I obviously have a visual impairment as well I don't see mm-hmm. overly well on the right hand side yeah and so I mean I never trip over though I'm quite lucky in that those kind of ways but it's mm. it's just that sometimes it doesn't kind of work yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely. you try all your things are there any ways any things that you actually feel that um any keys to like not not being able to trip over and stuff anything that you kind of mm. I mean I suppose I I try to keep... I used to always try and keep very close to a wall if I was walking down the street. I'd try and always be on the wall side so that people would have to move out of my way Okay, yeah. if I was really close to the wall. And I think I sort of naturally still do that. Yeah. Um, and also, I try to... Because I still am quite a fast walker and I do right, get yeah. frustrated by people walking slowly. And if I'm close enough to someone, I can just follow them. So mm. I do tend to sort of MI5 style <laughs> pick someone who's walking fast and follow them yeah. through a crowd. But that can, if you walk too fast, obviously, <laughs> I, I see things very late. <laughs> so that <laughs> I, I, I can walk into things and have walked into things before, but it's, um, I don't tend, I tend to. They tend, it tends to be when it's something incredibly unexpected and right. might catch anyone out. Yeah, um, because yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Anyone else would trip over something anyway. That's the thing, isn't it? Because it's, it's more, it is more, and I think I'm lucky in this, it's more mm. blurriness and things at a distance. Like I could, I can see that there's a door there, but I can't see, there's some, like there's a maybe a port, porthole or something in the middle of the door, but I couldn't, yeah, there is. Yeah, and I, I might remember, I might be remembering that from going close to it. So that yeah. could easily also be a little sign, or okay. or it could be a little, could just be a change of the design or something like that. Yeah. So tell me about your different shows. Well, in so my solo shows that I've done, um, I've I've done two that were not about being a bit blind, and then the last two have been about being a bit blind so in 2015 I did full ball which was the history of the greatest football club that never existed <laughs> you know see I'm remembering the taglines here and 2061 in 2016 which was um a sort of Orwellian it was a rip-off of 1984 actually let's be okay. let's be frank mm-hmm. and it was imagining like like 1984 was written in 1948 it was imagining the world in 45 years if Brexit and Trump happened. And at the time, um, Trump hadn't happened. Uh, Brexit actually had, uh, but I'd written most of the show as if um, as if it hadn't. So I had to do a lot of rewriting that summer. <laughs> and then in 2017, I did my first show about blindness. So the last, the first two, I yeah, hadn't made any reference to it. And then in 2017, I did Blind Man's Bluff, which was about me losing my sight and the history of the of blindness, basically. So it was 
me being diagnosed and then the ophthalmologist who diagnosed me trying to reassure me about being blind because by telling me the stories of all the greatest blind people in history but some of them weren't the best examples so he told me about Samson who did did all the things he's famous for before he was blind then gets blinded and dies so examples that aren't for, for comic effect that were poor examples but other other hopefully you know inspiring you know, in, inspiring in a, in a comic yeah. silly way examples as well and then this year I am doing Blind Eye Spy which is the imagined story of um, in five years that I get recruited by MI5 you see I'm obsessed with spies <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> to be a spy in post Brexit Berlin um, because no one was would suspect a blind spy very good yeah. it's quite exciting I hope so I hope so <laughs> and then it'll also just be about my daily life as a like rather than oh the diagnosis and blindness the great and the bad mm. it'll be about the sort of mundane things that that happen like um like this morning I was I was in my um I was just I was leaving my girlfriend's room yeah and uh she was downstairs and I was I spent a while trying to turn this light off and then realized that uh it was a bit of sunlight on the wall <laughs> <laughs> oh well oh well <laughs> don't hurt anyone <laughs> <laughs> has your comedy changed since your eyesight faded I think it has. I always did improvise comedy and I think it's changed a a bit with that and but also one of the nice things about it was that improvised comedy and sketch comedy and stuff was something I was good at before and then I assumed I wouldn't be able to do it anymore and then the director of the improvised comedy group I was in said why don't you just why don't you just try and coming along to rehearsal and do it again and I did and I was still good at it so it was it was like one of the only things that I felt I could still do mm. despite losing the sight and so even though I think it has changed to a certain extent and I'm not as reliant on uh I'm probably more well yeah I I actually I'm I answered first, didn't I, that it has changed, but I, I sort of yeah. think it stayed surprisingly the same. Okay. It's just that in the improvised comedy, I can't take visual clues quite as well. Right. So I think mm -hmm. I probably... It's made me more proactive in that I have to lead scenes and yeah. lead stories. And the other person knows that they sometimes have to follow my lead. Yeah. Because sometimes I can't pick up on their visual clues. And I think one of the reassuring things was that my abilities did seem to stay. So, um, it's good. Yeah, and then, but possibly also, I am possibly a bigger performer because I really need the audience to laugh for me to know that they're enjoying it. And that's possibly one of the reasons why I stayed with comedy as well because you don't need to see the audience to know if they're enjoying it. Now you can't see overly well. Um, how does this affect your interaction with the audience? I think it's it did occasionally when I was first doing the solo shows. 
make it a bit awkward sometimes because sometimes I might drop a prop and not be able to see it or I might not be looking an audience member in the eye when I got them up up on stage for some interaction and because I hadn't told them anything about the visual impairment I might uh, they might think oh that's, that's a bit weird why did he do that is that meant to be part of the show for some reason and then but I wouldn't reference it because I hadn't set it up and I did find it liberating last year that anything I did that was weird like not being able to see something or dropping something or not looking them in the eye they knew why it was happening and so it made me much more comfortable and playful with the audience that by acknowledging straight away that this is this is something that you'll you might notice during the during the show then it made me much more comfortable and I think it it only it only affected my interactions in an awkward way when I hadn't disclosed that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually now I feel much more comfortable that I'm owning it, as you might as they might say. How has your confidence been affected by your condition? Well, initially it was very yeah very difficult for confidence levels because you're not sure if you're going to have a normal life, um, don't want to go out on your own necessarily. Um, it, yeah, your whole world becomes both literally very much more inward because mm. your your visual range is has, has gone, and all your opportunities seem so much more limited. Mm. But I think it was it's been a so it has been a sort of gradual process of trying to build confidence back up that either through achieving stuff through being able to read something with read aloud software or something like that or um making a journey through getting help somewhere or also like we say getting lost or failing at something and realizing oh it's not actually that bad that will just happen like being comfortable with the fact that you you know the amount of times that I've asked someone, uh, like, um, could you tell me this? And they say, oh, don't glasses help? And you're like, no, and, like, I don't... Yeah, Or, or you know, what's your reaction meant to be to that? Saying, oh, gla- no, I, I've never tried glasses. That's a great idea. <laughs> I've had people idea. say that to me as well. It's like, no, nah, it doesn't work. <laughs> it really doesn't work. <laughs> it's, in- it's incredible when when people and often they're mm. they're very intelligent people mm. and you're telling them that you've you've been diagnosed with an eye condition and they say don't glasses help as if the doctors <laughs> won't have suggested that but um and yeah so i think people also if you don't look mm. blind in the obvious way then people don't like to um people just don't acknowledge it don't understand it and i think so i, I think also just the yeah, having those moments of um, embarrassment that you think are going to be incredibly humiliating or incredibly scary, and then they are a little bit, but they're not that bad. You just you get over it, and then it's on to the next thing. Is exactly because yeah. once you you know, yeah. I, I remember the first time I was sort of holding some some foods very close to my eyes to to yeah. check whether I could see it, and I heard some people laughing, and I probably. Ass- assumed it was and people aren't always laughing at me but um 
I was like, oh, God, so embarrassing. And then I thought, well, you know, I'll just... People are going to laugh sometimes when I do that because it does look a bit weird. Like, I'd probably laugh at it, yeah. actually. So they're not laughing at me. They're laughing at a man looking like he's trying to get inside the food he's <laughs> he's eating. And then if if anyone ever challenges you on it, which they don't, but you yeah. think if anyone ever challenges, then I'll just say... Oh yeah, I'm blind, and then they will feel <laughs> incredibly <laughs> <Really> awful. <laughs> like I remember, someone actually did once. I was holding my phone up to my face, mm. really close, and someone said, "Are you all right? What are you doing?" And I said, "Oh, oh I'm blind." And they were like, "Oh, I'm so so sorry." And then you obviously have the <laughs> you can have the classic, you know. Yeah, it's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was advised to use comedy as part of my recovery. Some comedians use comedy as a way of escape. Is that something that you've used? Oh, yes, I think so. I think to... Um, yeah, because I think especially early on, it was a form of escape in that you're not being yourself uh, on yeah. stage. You're in the sketch or the improv you're playing different characters and it's it it's definitely a, an escape from the the fears you you have but then simultaneously it can also be a, a good indirect way of, of confronting them a little bit to say this is all the stuff that I went through all the stuff that I'm scared of mm. and by approaching it in a way to try and make other people laugh you can you can ex express your your innermost fears or thoughts but in a in a light manner <laughs> exactly yeah exactly and and to and yeah you by by poking fun at it you can you can almost get a more honest um response out of yourself and mm. and also a more people want to tune in more when you're when you're trying to um, make them laugh with you about yourself rather than necessarily it's an easier way to do it rather than pouring your heart out to a to an audience I, I find anyway and I think that just depends on on the person So what tools do you use to manage life with visual impairment? Well I have on my computer I have magnification and read aloud software mm. I also have like a a video magnifier that I can um, put things underneath and it'll magnify it up. Mm. Um, I have like a, a phone with big text. I'm trying to get to grips with the iPhone. Um, mm. It's just that I was never really an iPhone user before. And even though it's got all the accessibility on it, yeah. I find them more, more frustrating than useful at the moment. But it is meant to be the 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 liberator the great liberator it for is. visually impaired people. Yeah, I went recently actually to yeah. um, the RNIB. Oh yeah, this week actually, um, they were amazing. Uh, fully blind people there working there full time who were absolutely incredible and just were trying to to help me with with my my visual impairment mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, and yeah, I'm coming back in for a course actually to um, yeah to try to. Uh, yeah, I, I might an iPad course. Oh, That's the yeah. thing, which apparently will be easier for me. 
now rather than a computer which is still stressing me out right. i now can um yeah an ipad's the the solution apparently and then yeah they were amazing and they had yeah it was it was really really interesting and so inspirational it was lovely lady uh, who um he was working with me really nice so yeah it was great what was her name? Oh, uh, Mary. Yes, Mary Cox. Do you know Mary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, she was really nice. She's lovely, I'm isn't she? Amazed that I could remember her name. Yeah. <laughs> I never remember anyone's names. <laughs> yeah, no, it was Mary. <laughs> but yeah, she was really nice, lovely. Yeah, fantastic. She's good. And why do they think the iPad is better? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's for me, it's smaller, yeah. less information rather than a whole computer, which is just too much. I think that's why. But it is, um, yeah, they're saying that the iPad's like a good thing to do. And then I was going to try to also do touch typing. That's oh, the yeah. new thing for me, to try, try to learn yeah. to touch type. Um, but that will take, how long will that take? I mean, I don't know, I've got brain injury. I don't know whether I'm actually going to be able right. to process those things, but I'm going to have to give it a go because if Mary can do it, yeah. <laughs> and you can do it, everyone can do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you do, do you touch type? Well, you see, I... I don't do it as naturally as I should and I would like yeah. to I would like to have more of a an upgrade an upgrade yeah. on the touch typing and so <laughs> can you, can, you do it at all I can yeah but I do then I don't find like I find I get rogue p's and o's uh, yeah, in, I know. And I get my A's and H's mixed good up. Good at it, don't you? You have to be totally <laughs> like and a I, proper touch typer. <laughs> and you have to you know I th- apparently the you know blind touch typers are just a lot quicker yeah because they don't um they don't check for mistakes right yeah um or that you know they don't see mistakes as it goes along yeah and they'll probably make as many mistakes but then they'll just correct it yeah afterwards but it's um yeah i wh- how are you going to get a touch typing course because is there one that apparently you... mary is yeah. the one in the note no <laughs> I right. shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> but yeah, Mary's oh, no, the one. I will, uh, we, we won't broadcast this, but I'll, I'll get on to Mary about proper touch type. <laughs> I know, that's what we've got to do. Good stuff. I know, I'm really chuffed though. That's the one thing. I'm like, I feel like I'm definitely trapped at the moment and I mean, no, nothing's moving forward. Yeah. So it's like six, one, two, three, four and a half years since it actually happened. Mm. So I'm still stuck here and I'm like, oh my goodness, how am I actually going to move stuff forward? And Mary came up with a solution. She's only got to touch type you know ev- yeah. everyone has to do it um who because i literally can't read like read stuff at all sometimes yeah. like today which today is particularly difficult for me today yeah. it's hot it <laughs> it's hot. really hot <laughs> you've managed to maintain and increase your success in comedy despite your condition what would your advice be for visually impaired people i think i think generally just be as honest and clear about what it is you need to support you Mm. so whether that's you know in a in a pub you you need someone to walk with you to the toilet Mm. or at work it's you need this type of technology to be able to do the job um but also yeah take advantage of the technology you know learn to touch type tom uh, better <laughs> Tom, uh, and 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 but also use use technology that works for you. Yeah, and you don't have to be a whiz in every single technology. And uh, yeah, and I think just be asking people for help because they generally are. 
they generally do want to help and they are yeah. nice. And I ask people all the time now. I mean, yeah. literally, that was the one thing, the big change in, in me getting around was that yeah. I literally just ask people because I literally can't see and I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> so literally, they, they say it's over there and it's like, okay. So I just have to ask. That's exactly. the key. That is the key, asking. Definitely. I remember a guy once, I asked him if he could help me find which bus stop this bus was going from. Mm. And he he went up and down all these like row of bus stops and then um came back and took me to to the one and then he suddenly like out of the corner of his eye saw his own bus and this is at like two in the morning so there wasn't many buses and he sprinted to catch his bus but he missed it <laughs> and i don't know how much longer he had to wait and then my bus came and i got on oh no but it shows how people are nice they are that's the thing <laughs> What's the best bit of advice that you could give for someone who's going through a life-changing situation? Ooh. <laughs> um, I suppose keep... Yeah, be be clear about... Be as clear as you can because it's so confusing and difficult and most of the time, like, I don't mm. think I knew what I was really feeling. So it's incredibly hard to be clear, but... Mm. Be as clear as you can to your friends and family and colleagues and people about what you need and what your feeling and what your needs are. But also, it there are there are lots of ways that it it can be helped and and made easier, no matter what it is. And I I say that as um. There are so many difficult things, mm. but most things there can be some sort of some sort of way to alleviate it. He says fairly ignorantly, but you know, I didn't think I could do all the things I mm. have done because it can just seem. Just... Were you initially in London then, or were you? I was about to move to London, and then ended up staying. I was like in between moving from Oxford to London, and I stayed then with my mum and dad in Milton Keynes so in a way it felt even more like I was sort of still a I'd gone back to childhood almost and then there was no no way of independence out because I thought well I'm probably going to stay here now for you, you know you never know am I just going to mm. have to stay here forever but I was also lucky that I I had my uncle who lived a very independent life who had it and I had he had the same condition, did he? Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. And I had cousins as well who did independent through. life. But even with that knowledge, I still felt like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do any of the stuff I thought I, I wanted to. You're doing very well. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> it's very kind of you. <laughs> very good. So how do you feel about your future? Are you scared about your eyesight deteriorating? I'm not, not scared about that. Because it's partly, although it could happen, it, it's not it's not that likely or common, mm -hmm. I don't think. But, you know, going back to what we said about awkward yeah. questions, um, that's almost something I don't want to know. But I, from what I understand, it's it's unlikely, and it's generally stays stable. But even if it did, I sort of feel like I, I've met people who have worse sight than me and mm. cope very well so 
I don't suppose I, f- I don't feel necessarily scared. More that in terms of the eyesight stuff, I've gone through a lot of the big adjustments already, and there's always going to be different adjustments you have to make for various different things. So mm. I feel excited about the future, although you know you you do only get older, which is always, <laughs> <true>. always <laughs> the the uh, the dark the dark lining. <laughs> so with. On Blind Man's Bluff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, who was the most inspirational person from all the people that you sort of met along the way? Oh, yes. <laughs> who would you say would be the most inspirational? Oh well, um, I did enjoy. Um, well, I enjoyed. There was Bella the Blind, who was the king of Hungary. Okay. From eleven thirty-one to eleven forty-one, <laughs> who reigned um, over a Hungarian empire. Um, he was he was very impressive just to have a blind king. Yeah, wow, yeah. And Louis Braille, who um, invented the Braille. the Braille language. Cool, yeah. Enjoyed playing both of them, and I I suppose just all of. I, I think he he was particularly, yeah, inventing this whole language that liberated so many blind people. Um, over the last couple of hundred years he was a uh, yeah very very inspirational but then there's so many also that you you don't actually know were were blind until you you look into it so you know John Milton and there was a Paralympian Libby Clegg who I pretended to be at the end she was great I cheered her on at the Rio Paralympics okay and yeah, yeah Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles you know you've got to obviously Stevie Stevie yeah <laughs> So where and when can we see you live? Well, I will be at the Edinburgh Fringe with this new show, Blind Eye Spy, 7.10pm every day of the Fringe at the Underbelly Med Quad in the Daisy. Amazing. Every week I do a weekly gripe and this week it's about hidden disability. Well, I, I guess that looking at both me and you mm-hmm. um, most people wouldn't realise there's anything different for either yeah. of us it's a hidden hidden disability that we're both contending with um, which in some way it could be fine in a way because most of the time I can pretend that there's nothing wrong mm. but on the other hand it's like sometimes you know you really have to spell stuff out that I can't do these things and you you know that that train that you're getting on you know I yeah. I need someone to help me you know that yeah. that's the thing so what do you feel about hidden disability that's definitely true like people don't understand sometimes why you're asking for help or why you can't do something and I think sometimes with with trains or with people in supermarkets I almost try to look blinder than I than I normally do right. just yeah. to justify them being asked to help a little bit so I might yeah even even though I I think I can weirdly locate where people's eyes are quite often mm. um by yeah by by seeing what are essentially two sort of dark yeah. pools in their blurry face I I would tend to sort of slightly look away at, while I talk to them or, or something to yeah. so that they feel oh yes he can't see mm. and but you shouldn't have to do that because it should no. be enough to say I can't do this because yeah. I've got because I've got a disability could you help me yeah. but it's a very it's a strange feeling where people are 
You have to justify. Yeah. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing, isn't it? Justifying something when actually, okay, <laughs> this Definitely. is what I was going on. But I think for, like, with a brain injury, because that's a hidden injury mm. as well, it's like that you then have to, like, sign up and then people, like, I think Prince Charles or someone else is, like, doing it on brain injury now. Right. And just saying, because no one really talks about brain injuries and stuff like that, so it's it's quite a, a weird one that um, that is kind of... is is pretty tricky it's similar like you you don't see what's mm. there's any difference with you but it's it, you know you need to need some help occasionally i think it's probably easier with me as well because at least if i say i i can't see i'm i'm partially sighted mm. then people do immediately know what yeah i mean even if they don't think i look like it whereas yeah. you having to explain lot a brain injury is actually more difficult because they're like, well, yeah. you don't seem you don't seem to have a brain injury. You seem you're walking, you know, you're you're talking. Yeah. I sometimes just say I'm, I'm partially sighted. I'm, yeah, is that stealing? Am no. I like, able to do you that? You are partially sighted. <laughs> I do. You use it in whatever way you like. <laughs> I just say that. I think yeah. that that's a bit better, <laughs> a bit easier to explain. It's like oh, a brain injury. You don't really want to keep going into that all the time. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> So I recently made it back from Australia. Massive mm. challenge. It was great. Loved it. So I got all the way there. I had assistance, which is brilliant. Mm -hmm. And then coming back, it was all okay. Got all the way there. It's fantastic. Um, but on the way back, I guess I was really tired as well. Mm. Um, but on my way back, I then couldn't couldn't find my bags anywhere it's like where is my where are my bags this is ridiculous and i'm like yeah. sat away and i was like my dad's waiting it's costing him a fortune oh my goodness so <laughs> in the end i sort of sat there i was like oh this is just gonna have to go and ask someone i just sent to this guy i was like where like my bags aren't here can someone help and they were like oh you're at the wrong carousel so they didn't tell me that oh, i was at a different wow. carousel i can't read those numbers yeah. even though they're big and massive and i just took someone else you know someone said that that was the right one but obviously it wasn't and I'm like oh my goodness it's so frustrating stuff like that is absolutely ridiculous I mean, is is that something that you know do you anything like that happen to you oh de the train platforms <laughs> sometimes it, it can make an announcement or people can point me to the wrong platform but I think one thing that's a bit more, um, yeah, a, a bit less problematic in terms of getting your luggage, but there's quite a few supermarkets where <laughs> I can't tell. There's one particular supermarket, but I'll, I'll, they'll remain nameless. <laughs> but I, I like, I like their sandwiches, but I can't read the the description at all. So I had to learn quite quickly to just like every single type of of sandwich. <laughs> right. So yeah. just buy a random one and then bite into it. And I, <laughs> Oh, that is cheese and tomato. Oh, that surprise. is... Surprise. Yeah. A massive surprise. So every day is every day is a surprise. Every sandwich is a surprise. Oh, are you vegan? No. No. I just thought you had a vegan sandwich. I thought you were a vegan, and I was like, that'd be pretty tricky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I try, I try to eat... Healthy. I try to eat vegetarian and healthy when I can, but with those um, surprise sandwich fillings, I, I often get a bit of bit of chicken or bacon <laughs> so i couldn't i don't think i could live as a vegan <laughs> <No>. <laughs> pretty tricky as always i'll end the show with an inspirational quote this one's from the rnib sight loss isn't black and white we all see things differently thank you so much for coming along tom thank you really appreciate it it's great to meet you and hopefully ho hope it all goes well with the shows at edinburgh 
And yeah, good luck with it all. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Emma's podcast. She's been through a hell of a lot over the past few years and listening to this makes all of her friends realise just what an inspiration she is. The Silver Lining Charity has helped Emma immeasurably, enabling her to meet lots of other people with brain injuries. The charity is currently raising money for a Goodwill Silver Lining mission to India, just one project that will help those affected by brain injury to get involved in exciting and purposeful activities in the community. Activities that go a long way to invigorate, motivate and rehabilitate. The charity also helps family members and friends who are often overlooked. If you've enjoyed listening and would like to donate to the Silver Lining Brain Injury, now's your chance. Visit www.thesilverlining.org.uk. Thank you.